Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 90 this morning. As we're here on this Labor Day weekend, we thought we would take the opportunity to talk about work. So, and Psalm 90 gives us a wonderful perspective, at least gives us God's perspective about our work. As you're turning there, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. You can keep turning and looking. God will hear, you, hear me regardless. So. Our Father, we do come and thank you for not only this day that you've made that we can rejoice and be glad in it, uh, but the word that can bring delight. For your word gives us an understanding of who you are and keeps us from just wondering and guessing. Your word also helps us to understand ourselves and one another. Your word not only gives light for our life, but your word gives instruction and it helps us to understand. And we pray that as we consider your word this morning, that you would bless us, that we would see things the way that you see things, and that we therefore would know how you have created all things. Bless us, Lord. Make us a blessing not only to yourself, but to the people that you bring into our lives. We pray for your glory, our joy. In Christ. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and, and read just the text that we're going to focus on this morning is Psalm 90, verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The first job I ever had was when I was 11 years old and I was a caddy at Rydal Country Club in suburban Philadelphia. The worst job I ever had was right before my junior year in college where I was working for an engineering firm who had contracted to remove all of the asbestos from the old buildings on the University of Tennessee campus. Wearing the space suits with long cords to make sure that we weren't uh, going to pass out in the 120 some degree heat uh, in there and spreading water all over the place and anyway it's still a bad memory um, and I guess the only thing that those two jobs have in common is I don't do either of them anymore I learned from the first one however lifelong uh, important lessons of the difference between a nine iron and a sandwich and when to use them and I learned from the second job I don't want to do that any, at all ever ever again and so the following semester was probably the best of my academic career as I was very, very motivated to make sure I didn't have to fall back into this area and do this kind of labor for the rest of my life. And it was during that time I came to appreciate, I think it was Mark Twain who had said, I don't think I like this work even if somebody else is doing it. And so um, that, was, that was very clear and vivid uh, memory for me. But work is one of those things that we all share. For most of us, it is the thing that occupies or consumes the, the majority of our waking hours. For many of us, it's the place where we go to give our first and our best efforts. For some, it is a joy, and for others, it is a drudgery. But one thing that is common for many people is the conundrum of trying to figure out uh, particularly if you are one, a person of faith, how do we take the faith that we celebrate in here, the faith that we profess in here, and apply it in the workplace out there? Because I know on Sunday mornings it sounds so neat and so tidy, but yet when you move out into the workplace, all the things that we talk about here just seem to be not nearly as neat and tidy out there. 
And so we just wonder, is there a way to bring a connection between what we hear in church and the way that we live our lives out in the world? Several years ago, uh, authors Doug Sherman and William Hendricks, and I think when a monumental work on work, uh, they made this observation. Every day, millions of workers go to work without seeing the slightest connection between what they do all day and what they think God wants done in the world. That's a dilemma that I'm sure that many of you have wrestled with. Some of you may continue to be wrestling with. And this morning, what we really want to do as we uh, focus on uh, work because of Labor Day weekend is I want to really give the simple assurance is that whatever work you are doing, if it is a legitimate, meaning legal, work, your work matters to God. And we know that not just because it feels good to say that, but because we're told so in the scriptures. We're told so in the passage we read this morning. Psalm 90 itself is an interesting passage. Moses wrote it to get set against the backdrop or in response to some unknown difficulty that he or the people of God were facing. And if you were to read, if we were to look at the whole psalm this morning, you would see a pattern uh, that exists, which is beginning in Moses acknowledging God for his character and for his own nature. And then he moves on, recognizing the nature of God as holy and powerful, and yet one who is unwilling to endure and to accept sin in his presence from his people or from people anywhere. Then we see Moses making an appeal for the renewal of his people in every aspect of their lives, acknowledging that life is short, and yet life is blessed in God's presence. And then as he finishes in his prayer, he offers a particular prayer, bringing God into our work lives by the very words that we read. You know, the Lord's favor be upon us, and how is God's favor to be upon us is that God would establish the work of our hands. So important that he prays it twice. God's favor is somehow connected to our work. And so as I look at that passage, it's what gives me the ability to be able to say with great confidence, God cares about your work. Your work matters to God. Because Moses in this passage is reminding us that the favor of God is somehow expressed. One of the ways it's expressed is through our work. And that Moses and God inspiring him to do so prays that God would be in our work in some way. Now, the work itself is interesting. The phrasing of, of here is, is, is significant as well because it's established the work of our hands. The idea that he's saying work of our hands would indicate to me anyway that this is not the priestly work that we tend to think of as being spiritual work because, well, quite frankly, most of the work that we do has nothing to do with our hands. For those of you who need things done with your hands, I can promise you I am not the one you want to call unless the hands are used for holding things, in which case I'm pretty good. But if they're supposed to do anything, my hands do not work. I have no idea. And I don't think that's just new to me, but as God gifts us, skills us, and gives us abilities, the work of the hands, as as it would sound, seems to indicate somebody who is using their hands, doing something, accomplishing something, somebody who's doing what some of you, looking at what I do, would refer to as real work. It's, It's the real work that God has, that is in view here. And yet God is involved, and Moses is saying God's favor is expressed through God's blessing, establishing your work. We also see the significance in the word our, at least I do, 
because our is both inclusive and personal. It's personal in the sense of it's a specific people it's in, it, that Moses is included in. It's whatever group he is. And obviously, as the leader of the people of Israel, he's praying for God's people as a whole. But because he's praying for a number of different people and saying, establish our work, it suggests that there's asking for a blessing on a group of people, all of whom do different things, just as all of us do different things. And that reminds me that it doesn't matter what you do. If you are working in a legitimate field, doing legitimate labor, that your labor, your work, your career has both intrinsic and instrumental value. Now, what do I mean by it, your work has intrinsic value? It's simply this, is that whatever job you have, whatever it is that you do, God values. It has value even without regard to the utilitarian purposes, regardless of the outcome, regardless of the endeavor, the labor itself is valuable, is honored by God. Many of us tend not to think about work in this way, and if you grew up in a Christian church or Christian culture or whether in the church or just around the number of Christians, most of us just have this idea that work is somehow cursed. Some of us feel that way just simply from the experience of some of our jobs. And some of us through our Bible study. I mean, for those of you who are Bible students and you're thinking back and any study that you've done in the early part of the book of Genesis, it might ring a bell. Somehow there's some curse connected to our work. So therefore we assume that all, all work is cursed and therefore how could God be concerned about it? And we do need to acknowledge that after our first parents, Adam and Eve, um, entered into sin, the consequence of that, God did say that there would be a curse. They would be cursed and it would be expressed through their labor and, and in other ways. And so we can't deny that there is some con connection between the curse that is the consequence of the fall and what we do. But it's not work itself that was cursed. It is that in something good of work that we don't experience the fullness and the completeness of the joy and fellowship with God in our labors as we were originally designed to do. That when many of us are, tend to put ourselves into work, hoping that success in our work and whatever outcome of our work will bring us the fullness and the completeness and the hope and the peace that we desperately desire, and yet, no matter how successful we get, no matter how much we earn, it just continues to escape us, or we experience it only for a moment, and then something happens in our work. And for many of us, our work is one of the greatest causes of angst that we experience because even if things are going well tomorrow's another day and it may not be so good this is the aspect of curse that is involved with something that is good but we need to realize this in terms of when i'm saying that the work itself is good it is the fact that work was not something that god sentenced us to as a consequence of the fall work was established even before the fall 
Adam and Eve were working, and they had fellowship with God, and they had joy, and they had excitement. They had the fulfillment that, they, that we all long for in the work they have. And many of us in our work, many of us when we've had successes in our work, we've tasted that sense of fulfillment, that sense of excitement, that sense of joy, a sense of accomplishment that they were experiencing fully as they were laboring in fellowship with God, knowing that they were able to have the relationship with God in the work that God had set before them to do. And so while there is an aspect of curse related to our work, its work itself is not the curse because work predates the curse from Christian tradition. I think even more compelling argument to me that work itself is not cursed is the fact that the scripture tells us over and over that God himself works. I mean, even if you look at the verse before what we looked at in verse 16, as part of the prayer that I think is actually related, I just uh, didn't focus on it this morning, Moses' prayer is, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. And so there is a sense in which God, who has worked, is continuing to work. And therefore, if God works, work itself can't be bad. Now, how does God work? Well, God worked in creation, and now he's taken a rest from that. But he also continues to be at work in providence, providing For all of us, and scripture tells us that God provides whether you are his people or not. The fact that any people have anything. If you're not a believer here this morning, all that you have that God created, he's providing and giving you gifts and making you with abilities and opportunities. God is orchestrating all of that just as an expression of of his goodness, his grace. It's part of the work that God does. So when I say that there's an intrinsic value in whatever you do, it's because work itself is valued. God himself works. And so there is a real sense in which we can say that when we work, because God works, that we are expressing an aspect of godliness. We are like God, not like gods, but we are expressing, we are experiencing, we are communicating, reflecting something that God does himself. And that's the very nature of godliness is that we do what God does. But there's another aspect of it as well that I really want to consider, and it's really, it's the focus of, of what I want to help, understand, help us understand this morning, is that not only is there an intrinsic value in general, but whatever you do, every job itself, every legitimate labor, is actually a reflection of some aspect of God's character, of God's nature, and of God's work. And it's very important that we understand work in that way because that's one of the ways in which we, and maybe the primary way, in which we bring the connection between what we profess in here, what we celebrate in here of our faith and how it expresses itself out there. Many of us go through life without being aware of how we do is actually a reflection, a testimony of to who God is. Now, obviously, I have an advantage in, in what I've been called to do. Some jobs are easier than others to recognize how it's a reflection of God. I have the opportunity to stand up and preach God's word. I have an opportunity to pray for the people in the congregation. I have an opportunity in counseling sessions to apply God's word to the specific struggles that people have. I have an opportunity to work with people in the church for the advancement of God's kingdom here in Williamsburg and throughout the earth. God has called me and enabled me, and you have blessed me by calling me to be part of that. And so it's quite obvious that what I do is connected. But one of the mistakes that we tend to make is assuming that what I do is somehow more 
a reflection of what God does than what you do, and that's an absolutely not true. There are other jobs that's quite easy to figure out how they are a reflection of God's character. Think about a judge or a lawyer are concerned with justice and seeking justice, and God is just. Think about doctors who are healers, who are bringing health and restoration to the physical body, which we pray to God to do, and the doctors, the nurses, the medical professionals are often the instruments through which God works. God is known and reveals himself in the scripture as the great physician, and so anybody in the medical field, medical profession, is a reflection of that great physician. Although I was reminded not long ago hearing an old George Carlin joke that said, does it ever bother anybody else besides me that doctors only seem to practice? They never actually work? I don't know, just a thought. <laughs> but it's obvious in those careers. But what about other things that are a little less obvious? I mean, what about the two jobs that I've already said that I had? I mean, I, I'm a cat, I was a caddy, and I was... I don't even know how you describe what I did. I took a chisel and a little water bottle and scraped uh, the, the whole week. I mean, how, do, how in the world are those things somehow reflecting the, uh, God's character and God's nature? In any career, or in any job, there's complexity. But as I thought about it, just very simply this, as a caddy, I was carrying somebody else's burden. I mean, one of the great achievements that you have as an 11-year-old caddy is to turn 12 when you can do doubles. That means you carry a bag on each shoulder. And then when you're really accomplished at 13, sometimes you do a triple. Yeah. But you better hope that somebody's carrying a day bag because those things get a little heavy after 18 holes. But God, through the person of Jesus Christ, has come and he has borne our burden, relieving us of it. And so even a job that seems to be simple that only kids, that kids tend to do, maybe not only kids because some of those guys on the PGA Tour are making a fortune doing a kid's job. But the very nature of the job is you are bearing the burden, which is what God has done in the person of Christ. It is a beautiful declaration of God's character and of God's grace. How about the one who's chiseling and renew, removing junk that only causes death? from walls of a building. The Lord God has said that he is at work in making all things new. That that which was once beautiful and glorious and life-giving has been corrupted and brings nothing but death. But he is at work even now in removing that which brings death and made a promise that one day it will be established and will again be glorious. And so even that mundane, horrible, awful job that I had to do, even in that, well, I didn't know it at the time. It's a beautiful picture of what God is doing. And I don't know what all of you do. I know what most of you do, and if I was talking to you, but I don't have the time to go through what all of you do. But, I mean, there are several things that we, we need to con con uh, consider. If you're in the military, you are a protector, and God is our strength, our shield, our protector. And even the military is a good example of that as one aspect. But then you do something specific, and you need to consider that and think about then what's my specific role within the military? How does this reflect God? And Ken, it's just too easy for you as a chaplain because then you move back into our world here, but, uh, but others of you who have real jobs in the military and, and not just the, <laughs> the ministry stuff. Teachers, you are ones who are proclaiming truth in whatever field that you are giving. 
Students, it's the same thing. You are pursuing truth. Our God is a God of truth. Artists and musicians, I, I stand amazed because they are constant reflections of beauty and creativity. I don't think there's a greater oxymoron than an atheistic artist. God has endowed you in wonderful ways that everybody can celebrate his creation, his beauty, and your whole life is poured into and as an expression of the very God who has blessed you. Well, what if you don't have a career? Many of you here have chosen the path of being just homemakers. How is that a reflection of the glory of God? How is God honored through that? Well, there's a simple way, and what you do is very important. That's probably been affirmed to you a number of ways, but I thought it was profoundly said uh, in a, uh, uh, by uh, Tony Campolo. Now, Tony Campolo is kind of controversial for some people. I'm not endorsing everything that he says, but this was profound. He was talking about his wife, who has two PhDs, and he said could have made a fortune in the business world, but rather than pursuing that, she chose to stay at home and to raise their children. She said it wasn't really a problem for the most part, but every once in a while, because Tony Campolo teaches at a college that's on Philadelphia's main line, if you're not from Philadelphia, the word snooty, I think, originated there on Philadelphia's main line. It certainly is most applicable to that neighborhood than almost anywhere else in the world. And so they would go to functions it's with other university people, other very accomplished people, because you don't live on the main line unless you are highly accomplished. And so she would be there occasionally and she would be gathering with some other women and they'd say, well, what do you do? And she would say, I'm a homemaker. And they would say, oh, kind of, you know, that's nice and that's quaint. And they were clearly unimpressed. So while she still was happy with the decision that she'd made, there was one time that somebody had come up and asked her, and what do you do? And her response was, um, was brilliant. She looked them directly in the eye and she said, I am socializing two homo sapiens and Judeo-Christian values so that they will eventually appropriate all the eschatological values and promises for an eternal destiny. <laughs> and what do you do? And they kind of said, well, I'm just a neurosurgeon. Oh, you know, that's, uh, I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> so, um, we devalue what we do when we don't see what we do in light of the way that is a reflection of the character of God. And every one of you has a job. Some of you have retired from careers, but you continue to work. Even whether it's a hobby or you've given yourself fully to certain aspects of ministry or just simply helping and serving people, what we do, what we all do, in one way or another, as a reflection of the character of God. And we need to understand that in that way, what we do is valuable. Now, it's also true that we, every job, while it is a reflection of the character of, of, God's, uh, of God's character, every job, every career also has inherent challenges to our spiritual growth or to living in godliness. From a personal standpoint, there's, you know, I remember reading an article at one time that was titled The Perils of the Professional Holy. Now, there are many, many challenges, but I think two of the simplest ones that you probably would recognize in areas that you need to be praying, not only for me, but for all of us who do this, maybe especially for me, 
is the tendency for those who are in ministry to be not only self-righteous, but to have almost a God complex? Feeling that you need us? As if God couldn't deliver otherwise? As if somehow we exist to supplement what the Savior does through our labor, through our prayers? Sometimes as I've met with people, particularly when you're struggling in the hospital, I've kind of tongue-in-cheek confessed one of the real struggles that I have is that it makes me angry when I'm not, I realize I'm not God. Not like angry, angry and lashing out, but when there are people who are very, very sick or the victims of some injustice and it doesn't seem to be any way to reconcile it, at those moments, my feeble abilities to help are clearly in not sufficient to bring a resolution in a way that I would like and in a way that you would like. And that bothers me. The benefit is I know that our God allows me to repent of my feeling of being needed more and not depending on him. And to be restored by realizing the love that he has and what he has entrusted to me. But what would seem to be the most easy job to grow in godliness is also filled with snares and traps. And every one of us, regardless of what we do, has some sort of built-in trap, which may be in one part, part of the curse, part of it's also living in a broken world, where even that which is good gets warped and distorted. I remember hearing one minister who labored in an area where there was a a lot of actors said that a a young man who had come to him who had become a new believer and was very passionate about his faith, wanted to make sure he was living in a way that honors God, came and asked this this pastor and said, now I I need to know what kind of roles I can take and what kind of roles I can't take. And this guy worked in soap operas and so apparently in some soap operas there are things that are less than godliness uh, that are part of the storylines, I understand. And, you know, he was asking, can I take an evil, can I be an evil person? And if I am, how, how, can I be good at being evil? And, I mean, and he's asking his questions. And the pastor said, I, I don't know. I never even thought about this. I don't even understand what it is that you do. And he began working through that with, uh, with the actor and, and came to an understanding. I don't know what they necessarily came up with, but I thought it was interesting. I saw an interview with Denzel Washington, who is a passionate, faithful believer. And he was talking about that very issue, about whether or not, as an actor, he can take on roles of, of a villain or, or of an evil person. And he came to the conclusion, and apparently he's big enough now that he can put it in whatever contract that he has, is that he is free to take on the role of a villain because evil exists. And yet that when he takes on the role of the villain, it needs to be clear that evil is evil, and in the end, evil does not triumph because in the end, evil does not triumph. There needs to be some consequence to the character that he plays, if it's an evil character, at the end, by the end of the movie, that he experiences the consequence that comes with being contrary to God's will. And so he has worked through that process of realizing that there are, there are things that, are, that would cause us or that we probably oughtn't do in our careers, but they're fairly common. But as those who want to live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we need to be thinking through what is a reflection And he worked through this process and realized a way that he is able to do what he does, to do it incredibly well, get incredibly well paid for it, honor God 
even if his action is not necessarily looking like we would think one who's honoring God in the moment. And all of us have that same opportunity. We need to be very aware that there are pitfalls with what we do. I have no idea, even if I know what you do, I have certainly not the expertise to be able to tell you what they are in your career. But I do think it's important that not only do you think about how your job reflects God, but it's all, what are the possible pitfalls. And one of the best ways to do that is to simply talk, about, talk with other believers who do what you do and see if together you can figure out what some of the pitfalls may be. Or to find somebody who is a mature believer who's do, who has done what you do for a much longer time. And if they haven't yet figured it out, but with their wisdom and their experience, they may be able to help you with it. But one of the things that we need to understand, and the primary thing that uh, I want to make sure that we know, is that your job is not just something you do. It is something that intrinsically has value to God, and in doing it, you honor God and can actually experience the presence of God. And perhaps the best way is to be aware of all the ways in what you do is a reflection of God. But it also, what you do has what I'll call an instrumental value. And what I mean is God uses all of us as instruments to accomplish his purpose. We are the tools in the hands of the great artists. We are the instruments in the hands of the great maestro. And all of us do different things all of us bring honor to him, and all of us are used to accomplish his purpose. And again, if you grew up in a conservative or an evangelical church or around it, that's not necessarily the way we tend to think of it. We know that we all can do something, and we all are responsible for the advancement of the kingdom and to bring glory to God. But there's this kind of this pecking order, isn't there? I mean, missionaries, they're the real heroes. And then the people who don't quite have the guts to go do that but want to give themselves, they become pastors or other full-time Christian workers some way or another. And then there's the rest of you. And you're told, cough up the cash, and you support those who are the real workers in the kingdom, right? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? That was my understanding. That's not, well, let me rephrase that. That was my understanding long, I, I got over that long before I chose the pastor thing. So anyway, that's... <laughs> And I support missionaries, nevertheless, just like us. So anyway, so. But let's get real. Missionaries do what they do, not because they're extraordinary, but because they are following what God has called them to do. So what else should they do? The same is true for pastors. The same is true for architects and school teachers and homemakers. They are, we all do what we do. There is no pecking order. There is no one job that is a greater reflection of godliness than any other job. It is a priesthood of believers with all of us as anybody has different roles within it. And every one of them is precious to God, every one of them is usable for, by God, and every one of them bears fruit for the glory of God. It's important that we understand that aspect. But how does it work practically? As I said, we are instruments in the hands of the maestro. He does what he wants. But think about it in, in very simple terms. We all impact people in different ways and in different workplaces. 
The fact of the matter is, you touch people's lives in a way that I never can. One is because I'm never going to meet most of them. Second is, people react differently when they find out that you're a minister. I remember when I was coaching youth football, my kids went, started in, and I was I coached high school football before Carolyn and I got married, and then I did it later on when we moved to Pennsylvania, but I was coaching youth football, and I was just a dad. One of the other coaches who was not a believer, actually was a, had become a Muslim, we, his wife had become ill, we were helping, and then he found out that we were part of a church, and then he found out that I was the pastor of the church, and then he comes to the practice the next day, and he said, I'd have never guessed you were a pastor. I never had the nerve to ask what that meant. Um, <laughs> I just said, thank you. Um, anyway, that's, um, I take it I was just a normal good guy and not a pretentious, overbearing, whatever. He just didn't know me. But anyway, that's, uh, but if you go someplace and you tell them you're a pastor, you're a missionary, that, you know, behavior either comes on or you get rejected. You just don't get to know people. You know people in their real lives. And you carry the same message. And you wear the same hope, and you have the same spirit within you as is in every true minister of the gospel. And you, by living your life with integrity and humility and graciousness and compassion, have the opportunity to share in the lives of the people that God brings into your presence, into your workplace in powerful, powerful ways. No different than what we hope to do as ministers of the gospel. That's probably the simplest and most practical aspect of the way that why everybody's important. If everybody did the same thing, then we would reach only a certain kind of population. And yet the fact that God has called us, equipped us, and provided opportunities for us all to do different things, it is all part of God's plan for his great commission that is not just simply how much cash can we get and how quickly can we get Preston out of here. He's not here this morning, so in case you were wondering, he's preaching someplace else. But I'd have said it if he was here. But anyway, um, that's not, I mean, that's one of our objectives is how quickly can we get him out of here. But uh, it's, that's not our whole thing. Our lives lived out day by day, moment by moment, recognizing that we honor God in everything that we do, and we are tools of God wherever it is that he's placed us, and he has placed us in this community, and he's placed us wherever it is that you work, simply so that you can be his tool to bless the people that you work with. He also blesses them through the work that you do, because every one of you serves God by doing what you do, recognizing him. All of us, in one way or another, serve people in some way. Does some serve at greater levels than others? Well, last week, I guess in, I was thinking about this, but not in a direct way, but thinking about last Sunday for me, is we would, in our culture, tend to elevate the doctor over some other people. But as I was driving into church last Sunday morning, my fuel pump died while I was on the parkway. I really liked Tim Hutchison. I didn't care if I saw him. I valued a tow truck driver much more than I would ever value a physician at that point in time. All of us serve the needs 
and desires of somebody. And in so doing, we are carrying out God's commission if we recognize that in doing so, we are doing it for his glory. Every job that we have is vitally important. I'm just going to wrap up with this. I think we become conditioned too often to just simply do our work and hope that our life works. I hope that when we are a that we would be a people who would consider how God has gifted us and how God will use us and how God is honored through us and by us so that we wouldn't settle for lives that merely work but so we would live lives that our work would let our, allow our lives to sing because faithfulness in your labor doing it to the glory of God recognizing the presence and the reflection of God allows your life to be a song to the God who's made you, who loves you, and who has redeemed us in Christ. May we think and rejoice at the brilliance and the mastery of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for making us in your image and for your glory. Bless us, not only with jobs, but bless, allow us to be blessings to you and to others through our jobs. That we, along with them, would give you all praise that you are worthy to receive. May you be seen in what we do. May you be believed by we who do it. I pray in Jesus.